If, I, if you're visiting today, we're looking at, at the book of Mark. And uh, before we come to our text, uh, let me say this. We're in the very first chapter, so if you're visiting for the first time and you want to know about who Christ is, this is a, you're, you're right in the beginning. But as I was looking at our text uh, for today, and I was thinking about our text last week, and I was thinking about y'all who are coming in for the first time and maybe you don't understand the gospel Maybe you think, well, maybe church is for good people, church is for people who are trying to get their acts together. You know what's really interesting as I was thinking about this? Is remember last week Jesus goes to church and he heals a demon-possessed man. And he comes out with a relationship with Christ, but everybody else that was at church, that was God's people, according to what Jesus said, or what it says Jesus says later, is that they completely rejected him. Who the religious people? Today we're going to look at a leper. Uh, The leper was a heinous person, heinous in the eyes of the very people of God. They were set outside the gate. And you know what? He comes to Jesus and he is healed. And yet the rest of the people in that area, according to Jesus in Matthew 11, don't come to him who are weary and heavy laden. Now, the reason I want to say that before I read our text is if you're one of these people who feel like you screwed your life up so bad and that you are a, uh, shall we say the word wretch, I know that's an old religious word, but you know you're really screwed up. This text is for you. It is for lepers and not religious people. We believe the Bible is the Word of God, so it's right there in your text, right there. You can read it. This is the Word of God. If you have a Bible and you want to open your Bible, it's uh, there in Mark chapter 1. So with that in mind, let's, let's read God's Word. Let's hear God's Word before we come to, to communion together. After rising early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him. And they said, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go to the next towns that I may preach there also. For that is why I came. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And a leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling, said to him, if you will. You can make me clean. And moved and moved with pity. He stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go and show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer open enter a town 
but was out in the desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. This is God's word. Uh, Let's pray together and ask the Lord to speak to our hearts. Lord, in our few moments that we have together to look at your word, we confess that your word is true. You've given us four gospels to know Jesus. And Father, I pray that you would open deaf ears, especially those who are waiting to get through the service. Lord, would you cause them to begin to spell the leprosy of their own sin and that the gospel would be for them, that they could walk away from here knowing that they're free from the guilt and penalty and the the heinousness of their sin. And Father, for us who tend to be self-righteous, to think uh, we don't have leprosy, but uh, we just need to have our hands cleaned up a little bit. Father, we have forgotten why God had to be naked on a cross, dying for our sins. So Lord, we need you to speak to us now. And we ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Probably a lot of y'all would be surprised to know that before I went into the ministry, before I went to seminary, I actually uh, did engineering work. I worked for a company in Greenville, South Carolina named J.E. Serene Company. And Serene had about seven or 800 uh, engineers, draftsmen. And uh, what we did was uh, we uh, engineered uh, build the building of uh, paper plants. And... Um, One of the things you learn in engineering is uh, the importance of blueprints. And the bigger the the building, the bigger the project, the more important were the blueprints. And and so if you wanted to know what was going on in the pump house, you turned to that page and then you looked at the pump and then you had specs on the pump and you look in there. But what's really important on the blueprints, on the very top page, is to have the site plan. Because you see, if you get stuck out here in the, in, the, in the pump house and you don't understand how it all fits together, then you lose sight of the real reason that you're building the plant. And then everybody begins to go their separate ways. But with that blueprint and with that top page, then you can begin to understand everything that's going on. Now, of course, you could look at your own life, right? Everybody needs a plan. Most of us sometimes don't have a plan. Uh, so we get into the details of life, but we forgot, what, what, am I, what is this about? Maybe you're that way. But that's not the point of the, of the illustration. The, uh, the point of the illustration is, if you look at the Bible, you would look at that and go, wow, that's a thick book. How, how do I even begin to understand this book? And you start reading Ezekiel, and it would be like being in the pump house on page 950. And you have no idea what Ezekiel's talking about. You don't have any idea what John was reading there and Zechariah, right? What is this all about? Well, let me tell you, everybody here, you begin with a top site plan. And let me tell you what the Bible's about. It is about Jesus Christ. He is the page. And any faithful gospel preaching, whether it's going into the details, sure, there's things like sanctification and glorification, all these theological words that we use, the importance of holiness, the importance of treating your wife right, your husband right, and to be the people you need to be. But when you get down in there and you forget that the Bible's not ultimately about that, it is about God the Creator who became God the Redeemer. 
So that everybody here, no matter how messed up and wicked and sinful you are, might have life. That is what the top page is about. To put it another way, what the Gospels reveal to us, and especially in the book of Mark, okay? If you look at the book of Mark, if you've ever, never read the Bible, Mark's a good place to start. But it's telling us about this person. It's telling about us about who Jesus Christ is and what he can mean to you on the first row, on the second row, on the third row. Now, again, if you're not interested in Jesus Christ, you're not that interested in all this stuff, then you don't understand you have leprosy. You think that, mm, you, know, I, you know, I'm not as bad as I, yeah, I'm not that good, but I'm not that bad. I'm worse than John Larson, but whatever it may be. So I want to talk to you about this person and what made him so unique. And until you meet this person, you will never have life. You will only have death. You will either have self-righteous death or you will have unrighteous death. But you will not know life and you will not bring life to other people, whether you're religious or irreligious. But to those who behold the person of Christ, then you begin to become like that person. You're being recreated in the image of God. Well, some people might go, well, man, I have so messed up my life. I've had abortions. I've had, uh, I've had uh, children out of wedlock. I have, uh, I have cheated my business partner. I have lied to my wife, and I've been hiding from her all my life. I'm a liar, and I'm a cheat. Well, let me tell you, Jesus loves those who are willing to admit they're liars and cheats and screwed their lives up. Versus people who are always trying to figure out how to make God happy. And so ultimately their lives are never used for anybody else. It's all about them. And that's why sometimes religious people, have you ever noticed how religious people are the most angry people sometimes? You know, because they're not real. They don't know the person. Now what I have to do in the next 20 minutes before we uh, do communion is talk about this person. And, and there are two points I want to make about Jesus Christ in our text. And as I looked at this text and I read a lot of different stuff, I brought it down to two things. What made him unique is, is two things. One is he loved God, the Father. He loved his Father. And number two, he loved us. There's nobody that's ever lived that's been like Jesus. And if you're bored with Jesus, I'm going to tell you, you've never met Jesus. You've never seen your ultimate need for Jesus Christ. Am I like Jesus? No, but I know this. I know how much I'm not like him, but I know this. He still loves me. <laughs> that helps. But before I come to these two points, I want to read uh, a couple of things of, of what some theologians have, have said about this person, the personality of Jesus. One is a Scottish Presbyterian minister named James Stewart. Now fo follow me on this because he talks about these two great contradictions in one person, but they're not contradictions. He says, when I consider the mystery of the personality of Christ... I think of the startling coalescence, the coming together of contradiction that you find in Jesus. Now listen to what he means by this. He was the meekest and lowliest of all the sons of men, 
Yet he said that he would come on the clouds of heaven in the glory of God. He was so austere that even the spirits and demons cried out in terror at his coming. Yet he was so genial, so winsome, so approachable that children would come to his gentle embrace. No one was ever half so kind or compassionate towards sinners that no one ever spoke such red-hot searching words about sin. He would not break the bending reed. And his whole life was love. Yet on one occasion he demanded of the religious leaders of his time how they expected to escape the damnation of hell. He was a dreamer of dreams and a seer of visions and yet was the ultimate realist. He has all of our self-styled realist beaten. He was a servant of all, washing the disciples' feet, yet masterfully he strode into the temple and the hucksters and traitors fell over one another in their mad rush to get away from the fire they saw blazing in his eyes. There is nothing in history to compare with the life of Christ. It's a powerful statement about this person. The one that we all know that we should be to a certain extent. I remember years ago, uh, either hearing about a reading of a secular psychiatrist who was interested in the person of Christ because he had changed the history of the world. So he went and went through the Gospels and he began to look at the life of Christ from a psychological standpoint, the things he said, the things he did. And his conclusion was that he was the most mentally, psychologically healthy person that he had ever studied. Why? Because he's the perfect man. In fact, he's the God-man. One other person said this, If we look at Jesus, we see virtues combined. Tenderness without weakness, strength without harshness, humility without uncertainty, unbending conviction and yet approachability, passion without prejudice. What is this absolute beauty that we see? It is God in human nature. Now friends, before I give you my two points and and, 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 uh, we come to the Lord's Supper, He is alive. This God who became human flesh, the second person, the Trinity, the Son of God, who from all of eternity, before he became a human being, was the eternal Son of God. 2,000 years ago, if we took our little space capsule, time capsule, went back 2,000 years ago, Mary, a human being, was conceived by the Holy Spirit, a virgin. And in space and time 2,000 years ago, God was in Christ. Fully God and fully man. And you say, well, why? Well, because you need God to save you, but you also need a human being to do what you don't do. So let's see about this person. Number one, he, he, loved, he loved God, his Father. Um, now, where do we see this? Uh, notice what he says in verse 35. And rising early in the morning while he was still, it was still dark, he departed and went out to desolate places and there he prayed. Okay, now you might go, okay, he got up early in the morning and he prayed. Well, if you were here last week, remember the day he had before? 
He'd gone to the synagogue. He taught. He had cast out a demon. And then he went home to, to, to eat uh, with Peter. And remember, Peter's mother-in-law uh, was sick. And so he touched her. He raises her up. And so he heals her. And then when he heals her, she begins to serve. And when she dies, everybody starts coming to, to her house where Jesus is. And he's healing the sick. He's casting out demons. I'm sure he was doing teaching. And it says that they were there, the whole city came, and they were there all evening. Now, I'm sure that uh, he was tired. But our text tells us this, that he got up early to pray. Busyness, I don't know about you, but when things are going well, uh, what do I do? I get more busy. How about you? Man, things are going good. Man, I got that paper done. I did this. I got that sermon. Redeemer's growing. Small groups are going. And then when you get very, very busy, there are things you begin to put aside, which is most essential, especially as a believer, because the very reason that you're busy as a minister is because of God's blessing. People's response was overwhelming. But what is Jesus' response? His response to busyness uh, was to pray. Now let me tell you what Mark's doing here. Think about it. He's giving us a huge insight into Jesus' person. In fact, we still had not heard anything he's taught, right? We have really haven't heard anything he's, he's teaching. So Mark is really trying to tell us about this person. And what is he telling us about this person? Well, this person knew that he was on a mission. And because he was on a mission, the greatest mission that any man has ever had, he needed to be centered He needed to know his father. Now I would say this for us. uh, Even if you're not a Christian, if you're not a believer here, and we have a lot of people that visit that aren't Christians, but uh, you know, it'd probably be good for you to be on a mission about something or else your life is just going to be chaos, right? But for Christians, it's even more important because if God has redeemed you, he's called you for a purpose. Not only to be conformed in the image of Christ, but to be used in the lives of other people, right? So that other people would know this person. As you're becoming like this person, they go, wow, what makes you different? It's your your relationship with the person of Christ. And therefore, it's very important that we pray. Uh, You know, if, if Jesus prayed, do you think, I mean, seriously, do you think you need to pray? I mean, in fact, when you're not praying uh, to a degree, a lot of you don't pray because you go, well, you know what, God don't want to hear me anyway. But that's not true. Probably the main reason we don't pray is because really at some level we're going, am I really wasting my time doing this? I I know what I believe about God and he's sovereign and he's the Lord. (laughs) But if I talk up to that ceiling, is he really going to hear me? You know, I tell you, this is convicting to me because I have to read all this, all the writers and the commentaries, and right, and and so I, I, have, I have to get convicted all week. So at least I can mess with y'all for about two or three minutes, right? So let me let me read to you what uh, uh, R.C. Uh, R.C. Uh, not Sproul, J.C. Ryle. J.C. Ryle, one Presbyterian, one Baptist, who is an Anglican. And he lived about 100 years ago. He's a very godly man. And he was always greatly concerned about Anglicans. 
Because they went to church and they did the order of worship. And some of y'all might go, well, this is weird doing an order of worship. But they go and they'd hear a little homily and they'd go right back out and they'd live their lives the way they live their lives. But uh, what he says about that is, you know, your devotion to Christ is, is indicative of your understanding of the person. And, and this is what he says. We ought to see in all this, this immense importance of private devotion. If he was, who was holy, harmless, undefiled, and separate from sinners, thus prayed continually, how much more ought we who are compassed with infirmity? If he found it needful to offer up supplication with strong cryings and tears, how much more needful is it for us who in many things daily offend? What shall we say to those who never pray at all? In the face of such a passage as this, there are many such, it may be feared in, in the list of the baptized people, many who rise up in the morning without prayer, without prayer lie down at night, many who never speak one word to God. Are they Christians? It is impossible to say so. A praying master like Jesus can have no prayerless servants. The spirit of adoption will always make a man call upon God. To be prayerless is to be Christless, godless, and in the high road to destruction. Uh, how much do you pray? Are you praying? Now, is he saying that if you don't pray at all that you're, you're not a Christian, period? No, but what he is saying is that obviously at some level you don't believe in the person. Right? I talk to my wife every day. Hey, hon, how are you doing? Let's sit down and talk. What's going on? Let me tell you what I need. That's all prayer is. And I'll tell you this. If you've been a Christian for a while and the reality of Christ and his person is becoming less real to you and not more real to you. And the things that you see at a horizontal level are more real to you than the things that you don't see that govern everything by Jesus Christ. Then I'm telling you, do you really, do you really have the Holy Spirit who's united us to Christ? Now with that you go, well, pastor, how well do you pray? Not well. But I know the person. And, and I do believe. Okay, uh, let me give for instance on this uh, about why we need to pray. We have a men's prayer meeting every Wednesday. Every Wednesday. It's here in the church. We've talked about it. And, I, and there's a lot of you guys, I'm thinking, why in the world aren't you? Y'all need to be praying. <laughs> I look at your lives. I look at your marriage. I look at what's going on. I look at your lack, lack of participation. But, but, but does praying come make you a good little Christian at Redeemer? No, because I might have guys coming in there praying and they're getting winky buttons. But we come together to pray as men because we believe that God will fill up this church and convert people here right now who've been in church all their life and need Jesus Christ. And, and so, so that we, he prayed we need to pray. The other thing to see about prayer before we go the, 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 to understand that he loved his father is why he prayed. Why did he pray? Did, I'm going to tell you why he prayed. He prayed because he was orient, orienting himself to his father. So where do you see that in the text? Let me tell you where you see that in the text. Do you notice how everybody said, hey, come back over here where all these people are, and you can heal all these people. And Jesus said, I didn't come here to heal people. I came here to preach the gospel. And why did he want to heal? To confirm that what he was saying was more important than healing lepers that are physically sick. He came here 
to preach the gospel, to heal you who are here today, who have the leprosy of your sin, so that you might have the same father that he is praying to at 4 o'clock in the morning. You understand that? So, so you know, let me tell you why it was normal. He loved God. And uh, if you don't love the Father, and if you don't know the Father's love, you're going, to be, you're going to be trying to get everybody else's love. You understand that? Your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your husband, your wife, your pastor, your church. And you'll be kind of weird. And, of course, we all are anyway, a little bit, right? But here's the second thing to see before we come to the Lord's table. i got about seven minutes on this. He loved people. If you're here and nobody else will love you, maybe you can't get your father's love, you can't get your mother's love, you can't get your husband's love, you can't get your wife's love, you're wanting love, you're, lo- you're looking for it, you're looking for it. And then again, that's what the, the overwanting something that's not God makes you strange. And you create all these images of things that you are and what I am and I got my act together and I'm Clint Eastwood or whatever it may be. And you know what? All it takes is just a little bit to happen, to unearth all that. But you see, not only did he love the Father, he loved the Father so much that when the Father said, I want to send you to these people who are so ruined, he says, I'll do that. Why? Because he's the second person of the Trinity, but he submits to the Father because he loves us. Now, how do we see that in our text? Well, it's obvious, right? It's obvious in in, in this relationship we have with the leper. He loves the leper. And so we see in verse 40 that there's a leper that comes to him, imploring him, kneeling, and says to him, if you will, you can make me clean. And what does verse 41 say? Look at verse 41. It says that he was moved with pity. I'm going to tell you what Mark's telling us about Jesus Christ. Right, really, who cares what other people say when you talk to people about Jesus if you don't love them, right? But but, but we still don't know what he's preaching. But here, here we see this person who prays he loves the Father, but we see this person who is engaging not somebody that's got a headache, but a leper. Now, the problem with some of us that grow up, like you little kids are eight or nine or ten years old, it's a great thing to grow up and hear all the Bible stories, but sometimes they can just be stories and say, oh, this guy's got leprosy, and yeah, and Jesus tells him, and he gets sick. Well, I want you to think about this man because he lived and he existed along with a lot of other lepers, and there are lepers here in, in this world today that are lepers. As I started studying about leprosy, I started realizing the pain and suffering of these people, even among God's people. Because if you go back to Leviticus 13, where you know, it starts to come up with all these codes, it's like, hey, I'm sorry, you're an Israelite, you're a leper, you need to go outside the camp. Now, so let me, can I, I want to tell you a little bit about the leper, and then, and then I want to end by just the, the touch of Christ to this man, and he heals him. Let me tell you about lepers. Leprosy affected the whole body. It's called the Hansen's disease. It usually began with fatigue and pain in the joints. No, you don't have leprosy. Okay. 
For some of us, it's just you're old, okay? And uh, sin's killing you anyway. So, but we'll get there. Uh, <clears throat> then there would be these scaly spots that would develop on the skin, and then as they progressed, the body would become covered with pus-filled nodules. And then after that, the appearance of the face would become altered so that the sufferer, actually they say, looked like a lion. I, but, but it, was take, it, was, it was affecting them inside, so it affected their vocal cords and their throat, so it was painful to swallow, but they could hardly even talk. But then <clears throat> the body was in a state of living decomposition. Thus there was a terrible stench about them. Nasty. And then the leprosy attacked the nervous system so that the body became numb, and it would put its hand on the fire and then wouldn't feel the fire. You know why? Because it had leprosy. It was dead. That part of the body was dead. In third world company, countries, when they would uh, work on lepers, uh, they would send them home with cats. You know why they'd send home, home with cats? So the cats would keep the rats away from eating their ears while they slept. So not only did they suffer physically, but they suffered socially in the Bible. If you read Leviticus chapter 13... They lost their families. You're unclean. They, they, they couldn't be hugged by their wife or their children anymore or their husband. They were put outside the camp. And then if they ever got around anybody, they, they had to wear this mask over their mouth to keep them from uh, getting anybody infected, but they would have to yell, unclean. Couldn't go to the synagogue, couldn't worship. Cast out lepers. You understand? Socially. And then uh, think about the pain and suffering of not being able to worship. And what eventually would happen is they started having to wear grave clothes to go. They're, they're about gone, and the families would have funerals for them before they ever died. Now, I hope you're kind of starting to relate this a little bit to yourself because maybe. You felt like a leper. Because you know what the Bible talks about? Sin. It describes it this way. You begin a little spot, right? Oh, I was looking a little bit of pornography. I shouldn't have been doing that. Or I was gossiping about somebody. Shouldn't have done that. And uh, I, I, shouldn't, I, I shouldn't have said that. Or, or, and, and it begins to grow. And it begins to become gangrene. Because, see, you don't know, the, you don't know life. All you know is death. Because, you see... The, the real leprosy is sin, and it begins to eat your tongue up. It eats your eyes up, and it eats your hearts up. And then you begin to stink. And then your family doesn't want to have anything to do with you. You've ruined your life, and you've ruined everybody else. And you know what? Everybody becomes contagious around you. You know why? Because you're wicked and you're sinful. That's the picture, you see. So who does Jesus heal? Well, this leper knows he's a leper, and all the other lepers are back at the colony. But I'm going to tell you what. He comes, and can you imagine what the scene he made when he came, coming to Jesus? And I bet if somebody had a baseball bat, they'd probably beat him to death right there. And he comes to Jesus, and he says this. If you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus was moved with pity. 
And Jesus, many miracles. Let me tell you what he does. Many, he's very creative about the way he heals. You know, sometimes he says, yeah, go tell them he's healed. Or he would just tell somebody to be healed. They'd be healed. Come out of him, demons. But you know what he does to this man? He touches him. I'm going to tell you, there are people in this room who haven't been touched in a long time. Haven't been touched by your spouse. Haven't been touched by a parent. Haven't been touched by another church member. Some of the single women here at Redeemer. You know, sometimes it's probably good to put, put, hug, hug them. Give, them. give them hugs. Tell them you love them. You know? Because to not be touched, to be cast aside, to be pushed away is the ultimate curse, is it not? To be lonely. And everybody in this room is, is feeling lonely at some level because you know down deep if they peeled you back enough, there would be stench. But Jesus touches him, and when he does, he's healed. But you, let me tell you what's interesting about what this man says. He doesn't say, uh, if you clean me, then I'll follow you. He says, if you're willing. He's coming with the reality and the humility that God is not obligated to heal you. And then I want to say this very clearly to many of you. You haven't repented of your sins. That's why your marriage is terrible. You haven't gotten rid of the le- leprosy. You've never been touched. You know, because you're saying, well, Lord, okay, I'll follow you, but this happened and that happened, and I really don't like That's not fair. I'm going to tell you, the wrath and curse of God is coming against those who are unwilling to admit you're the leper. But if you're the leper, <laughs> he comes to you and he touches you and you'll be healed of your sin through the blood of Christ. I've got to close on this. I, it's, well, give me one more minute before we come to the Lord's table. I know you're thinking, that's two, maybe three. No. You know what happens at the end? Well, Jesus heals him and he says, don't tell anybody. What does he do? <laughs> he doesn't obey, does he? Now, I've read a lot about that. Some people, well, this guy's a terrible guy because he didn't obey Jesus. You know, Jesus got, had to go outside and nobody could go to the city. Well, I don't understand all that, but I will tell you this. And this is what I think is going on. <laughs> Let me ask you, if you got healed of leprosy and your nose was falling off and your fingers are falling off and he touches you and all of a sudden you're completely whole, whole where's the first place you really want to go? Home to your family. I'm clean. Now, I don't know if he went to the priest or not. He might have done that, but he still didn't do the other part, right? Jesus said, don't, don't, don't say anything. You're thinking, Why, Jesus? I thought you were wanting the word to spread. Well, because everybody goes, oh, it's about the healing. But here's what I want you to understand. Is that when he touched him and he healed him, and he, he could go back to the city, and Jesus, because he touched him, he didn't get the leprosy. Because he's God, right? He has to go outside. He goes outside so he can go inside. But let me tell you this. When Jesus Christ died on the cross 2,000 years ago, he died for lepers. And in that case, when he was on the cross, he was not up there just as God. He was up there as a human being to take somebody's leprosy. He had to take it upon himself. And he takes that sin upon you, you adulterers, 
You murderers, you haters, you liars, you self-righteous people so that you might enter into the city of God. Is that not awesome? To all you lepers, rejoice. Come to Christ and rest in Him. Let's pray together. Lord, as we come to the Lord's table now, we ask, Lord Jesus, that you would clean, cleanse lepers. Oh, Lord, convince those who aren't convinced yet of their deep need to come to this person who loved the Father and who loves us. And in that, they will become new and will become like Jesus Christ so that the world might know you as well. We ask it in your name. Amen.